Hello and welcome to the Chatting with Charlie podcast, where we discuss nature, adventure and everything in between. You can find me on Instagram at charliepage.img and all my wildlife photography workshops and tours are at charliesworldlifephotography.com. But now on to this week's guest. Where do I even start with this guy? He's done some absolutely unbelievable things, including running a marathon where he drinks a beer every single mile, pulling a car for a marathon, the first person ever to run from Asia to London, buried alive for a week. It was such a pleasure to hear some of his crazy stories. It's the artist geezer. It's Mr. Russ Cook. Russ, thank you for joining me on the podcast today, mate. How you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. So, mate, you've done some crazy things, man. I don't even know where to begin with you. Um, let's start <laughs> with the let's start with the marathons. Yeah. Uh, most people do a marathon, and you know it's hard enough as it is, twenty six point two miles. Yeah. You like to throw a couple extra stipulations and rules for yourself in there. <laughs> uh, what are some of the marathons you've done, man? Um. So we've done the, the beer reform, uh, which is a marathon, but you stop every bar to drink a bottle of Corona. We've done the carpool marathon, which is the marathon, standard marathon, but pulling a car. Uh, I've done a marathon on crutches when I was injured. So that was a, a tasty one. I'm sure I've done some others, but I forget what I was. <laughs> McDonald's. I think you've done a McDonald's, McDonald's one. Marathon. Yeah, we've done the McDonald's marathon. Um, got a new one coming soon. Actually, it's going to be the uh, footwear marathon. So I'm going to get a collection of the worst possible footwear you could have to run a marathon and do that. So I'm thinking high heels, flippers. Oh clogs. my god! That's- Jesus Christ, man! All right, let's start with what should we start with? Uh, right, let's start with the McDonald's one. How did that work? What was the rules behind that one? The McDonald's marathon was basically, um, I just went to McDonald's, ordered the entire menu. Um, <laughs> luckily for me at the time, it was COVID. So it was like they were running a bit of a reduced menu, but it still set me back about 80 quid. Um, and then every mile, just stop and ate an item. So the trouble, the biggest problem I had is that it, we did it in January and uh you know a marathon takes a while to run eh? so it's like three four hours in and uh food is like basically frozen it's <laughs> the worst tasting thing i've ever seen but out of everything on the mcdonald's menu the the, the thing that actually made me chunder was the uh was the salad <laughs> really jesus man did you go into it with like a, a plan of like right i'm gonna bang you know the burgers out first the chicken nuggets out first or did you just whatever looked I best at all i literally i was going off pure vibes i was looking at looking at my selection of food going what looks the most appetizing and then uh yeah one by one it just started getting worse and worse the, the chicken was a bit better. Like the nuggets cold ain't that bad. But like when you get in a burger, it's all soggy and oh, mate, rank. Yeah, Sounds rough, man. So the car one then. So you, would you say sorry? In the summer, I reckon it'd be all right. To be yeah, fair, it keeps right? a little bit warmer, isn't it? Yeah, winter's not what you want, mate. Horrid, horrid. Uh, so the car one. So you pulled a car for a marathon. What made you want to do that? And yeah, what was it like? So, um, I saw that Ross Edgley had done it before, 
And um, for those that don't know, Ross Edgley is like quite a big time um, endurance athlete. He's sponsored by Red Bull and BMW and all kinds of people. And uh, he swam around the UK, which I thought was pretty sick, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But then I, I, look, I looked at some of the stuff that he'd done before and he, he had previously pulled a car for a marathon. I think it took him 19, 19 and a half hours or something like that. And um, I just looked at him firstly and just saw how whammy he was. Like the geezer's massive, like yeah. just jacked up, huge. And uh, I just thought there's no way that his... Uh, like he, his endurance for some, like pulling a car will be that good because you don't need biceps to pull a car. You just need strong, durable legs that can go for 10, 10 plus hours. And, um, you know, I've got that. So I was like, yeah, we don't need biceps. We'll just get, we'll just do a little bit of weightlifting, carry on my, my cardio, my endurance and, uh, and get going. And yes, yeah, so I did uh, on Worthing Promenade. October 20, <coughs> 2020, um, done the done the carpool marathon in nine hours and fifty six minutes. What, what did the other guy do it in? It, it, it sounded like nineteen hours. I think. So you smashed him, like literally half this time. Yeah, man, I was I I, I was surprised myself on the day because I, I was thinking I was looking at about sixteen hours from my training. I was thinking yeah. maybe sixteen hours, and then um, we I started at two a.m. because I thought. We want to try and finish at a sort of like 8 p.m. the next day so that we can get a lot of people down for it. And yeah, I ended up finishing at like midday because uh, I, I was just on fire. Like, I just start, I thought I'll start fast and see how long I can hold this pace for. Yeah. I never really slowed down, to be fair. So it was one of them where everything just aligned. Like, my body felt great. The weather was perfect. Like, I was like a couple hours in and I was just loosening up and I was thinking, like, I'm just on one today. Like, yeah, really. Had you slept before? You said you started at two a.m. Did you sleep before or just go all the way through yeah. during the day? Uh, yeah, well, so I slept before and then just woke up at like one. <laughs> just went middle of the night. And just like bag it, put in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. And then we'll come on to the beer one. That one seems mad to, because that's twenty six beers. Yeah, like twenty six yeah. beers just just to drink twenty six beers is a feat, man. To do it running a marathon, what was that like? Ah, oh, carnage carnage i can't barely remember none of it to be honest um i remember up until about halfway and then everything's hazy after that but uh i was absolutely bad i, like, I can see the videos my mate filmed quite a lot of it and uh the videos of me i'm just um i'm on a different planet my head is spinning <laughs> so yeah that was um that was an interesting one um and then i tried to do it again last year but with uh with a spinner, right, that chose my drink for me every mile. So it weren't just oh beer. We had beer, tequila, uh, Jaeger bomb. We had a death, uh, a cup of death, which was a bit of everything poured into a cup. <laughs> it was, I, 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 I got humbled big time there because I thought, you know, I thought, right, we'll up the level this year and just see what we can do. Yeah. And I made it about halfway. And I'm I'm, I'm part, I've just passed out. I think I think I've literally just passed out. And I, I I like to call myself the king of the resurrection because a lot of the time you'll see me a few beers deep and I'll be taking a little power nap. But I'm normally right as rain after. But this time I was just done. I was just done. Done. Yeah. It's that mixing of the drinks, isn't it? Like your body yeah. just can't take it, man. Well, and as well, I, like I am actually an athlete, so I don't really. <laughs> 
Um, like I used to booze all the time. But I don't really do it that much anymore. So I think my tolerance is, has got lesser and less. Yeah, trying to find a middle ground between being a boozer and being an athlete to try and yeah. do that one's probably a very fine line, man. Yes, it's yeah, it's it's a something that I'm clearly not very good at now. So we just take that out, hold it, and you know, kind of admit my boozing days are probably behind me, really. Yeah, and the beer from with though, all that must have been the liquid must have been just as tough as the actual alcohol, like yeah. all that liquid in your stomach running, man. Yeah, I chundered a few times, eh? like three or four times, which was a big help, but the trouble is with beer as well it's like you know when you like shake a beer it gets all it gassy and that so yeah like, yeah yeah like that beer is just shaking around in my belly so it was just gassing me up bad um but yeah pulled through somehow what was the hangover like terrible mate i was i actually had to go work the next day i was working in prison as well so literally 7 a.m next day i'm i'm driving to prison thinking might be over the limit here maybe <laughs> yeah i would imagine so man. Uh, um yeah but to be fair i did finish like a solid 12 hours before that so i think uh, oh mate that is not long enough man you need a couple of days at least <laughs> but i was sitting there in prison uh literally just it was one of that it was just one of them ones like in the office just hiding yeah just Please, no one fucking start any fights today. <laughs> so you mentioned they're working in the prison. What were you working as? I was just a prison officer at HMP Lewis. How was that, man? How did you get into that? And how was it working? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I mean, I got back, I got into it because I finished my uh, my bit of travelling, and I, I came back. And I was so skint, I needed a job, and I've done a few little uh, little bits and pieces to pass the time, but then. Um, thought oh, I'll get a proper job and um, I looked at I just saw this online and just thought that sounds like a few good stories if nothing else so I'll give it a go yeah um, and then like sort of applied went through the process and uh, I, I was really excited to start I thought that I'd, uh, I had a big opportunity to maybe uh, help turn the lives around of a few people and um you know, like make an actual difference for, for someone that needs it. But when I started the job, I sort of quickly realised that that's not so much the case. Um, you're more just a, a number and, you know, you get told what to do and you just sit down, shut your mouth and do it, really. Yeah. So, What's your day-to-day like then when you go in? So you walk in in the morning, what are you doing? Yeah, so like you go through the security gates in the morning, um, uh, pick up your keys, pick up your radio um, and yeah, get your baton um, and then walk through. You go to your morning meeting on, on my wing, uh, which would just be me and probably about seven other officers with uh, like a supervisor, supervising officer. And then basically they would give you the rundown of the, the handover. So what's happened overnight or what's happened the day before, um, like matey boy might be kicking off here, there, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, you would go out, run a regime. So you'd, we'd have, we, on our wing, we had probably, probably 80 or 90, 80 or 90 blokes. And then there'd be about, uh, you know, on a good day, you're looking at probably about four officers, maybe. Jesus, like, that's not a lot, man, for that many people. Yeah. No, nah, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, 
Oh yeah, like you'd go out, run a regime, try and try and uh, offer everyone uh, at least half an hour of exercise and and half an hour of domestics, which would be their time to like have a shower and chat to whoever they want to chat to. And yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I was there for COVID, so it was, it was pretty locked down. It was pretty tight. There wasn't much. There was no like gym being offered or uh, education. Nothing really like that at all. It was it was pretty. You know, like you come out for your hour and you shut your mouth and you go back behind your door and that's that really. Um, so yeah, weren't weren't a great time to be in prison if if uh, during COVID. Yeah, and obviously with the prisoners, you know, obviously there's some of them have done some obviously bad things that's why they're there but they're still human beings but there's some guys that you got on with or some guys you just were like oh, try and stay obviously mate, you've got to do a job but you know yeah mate i mean you'd always <coughs> it's like any walk of life you've got to you're going to meet people that you just you know you can barely have a conversation with like because they're just you just think they're wankers really um and then there's other people that you know, I, I spoke to and I thought in, an, in another life we'd probably be mates, which is uh, yeah, quite sad to see people in that situation. Like, like especially the young, like the young guys, I always felt joyful because it's like there's so much potential there, and you and you're sitting here like just you know surrounded by people that are terrible influences, and you've had like poor guidance. A lot of I think a lot of the time people end up there is is pure st- circumstance mainly, like. You know they've just they've 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 not had they've not been dealt great cards in life and yeah and just this is what's happened but yeah, I mean it is what it is it's 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 a shame to see it man it really is but um yeah I mean yeah I mean the prison systems you know men have be rehabilitation I suppose did you feel that or is it just lock them away throw away the key and forget about them kind of thing to me. They say that they all say rehabilitation, like, and all this, but it. Uh, I think a lot of that to me, anyway, feels like a bit of a uh, PR move, like, yeah, yeah. rehabilitation. But when it comes to it, you know, I don't, I don't really feel like uh, the system actually reflects that. I think the system is is it needs progressing it needs moving forward in order to in order to actually implement effective change for people and, and give the people the support and the help that they actually need to get out of that situation really yeah yeah um all right moving back to the running i mean obviously we spoke about uh, at the start you doing the these crazy marathons i'm guessing you didn't yeah. start by down in 26 points and running the marathon <laughs> how did you get into the running and how did it start man um, so the running, like I ran, I ran quite a lot as a kid. Um, I was really sporty as a kid, um, but then uh, as I as I got older, my sort of life circumstances changed. When I was about um, about seventeen, when I was in college, and um, all kind of sport really took a took the back burner. Got quite um, quite quite fat, quite unhealthy mentally and physically um i was just i was living in a bad way and i had formed some terrible habits that were just not uh, not conducive to you know being the best version of myself and then after about two or three years of sort of 
slowly spiraling. My mate, um, my mate texted me and said um, that he t- told me he's running Brighton half marathon and that he reckons I should come and do it with him. And uh, I just thought, well, I mean, I read it at first and was like, nah. But then I sort of thought, oh, I ain't got much else going on. So I like, fuck it, I'll give it a go. And yeah, signed up to it and did a little bit of training. Then I, and, and then he said he was doing the full marathon, which was a few weeks later. And I thought, yeah, gone. Then I've done half. Like, we, we don't do things by half. Let's just go through it. And through that process of, um, of training for these, these, events I sort of um I gained a lot of a lot of confidence like motivation discipline having to stick to this like training plan um through running and I I started applying that to other areas of my life so um yeah like my whole situation was a negative one and and that was sort of the spark that turned the wheels to say and made it more of a positive one and um from there uh from there I've, I've i've sort of went on to travel traveled around the world and um and then eventually do the asia to london run and then from since that it's literally just been like a a journey to sort of be the best i can um and you know little by little by little slow increments uh, make the changes that help me do that really so yeah that's kind of been the the journey to, i suppose yeah man it's amazing how that like you started that it's just almost like i think momentum's a big thing in life man if you can get the momentum going yeah through something like it does affect other things i think one of a big thing that happened along the way there is that I stopped identifying myself as like a, like a, someone that would go out and drink three or four times a week and uh, someone that didn't really, I, I weren't really having that much of a great time. And I changed my identity to someone that, you know, like I was a runner. I was someone that went out yeah. every day and ran disciplined person. Like, and that sort of identity shift um, made me, you know, feel like I could take on, anything really yeah so that was like a really important shift and then also your physical health getting better i imagine improves your mental health and it all just kind of works in tandem with each yeah. other isn't it yeah i mean it's a, it's one of them where slowly really over the past kind of since i started running again like five four or five years ago i think it's about five years ago um you know like piece by piece i've just started adding things into my daily routine and my habits that each time better my better my prospects in all areas whether that's my physical health or my mental health um so it started off just kind of running then i maybe looked at my diet a little bit and then you know i look at my mental health and think like what can we do there a bit of meditating then it's like journaling now it's got more recently like yoga and it's just that adding adding these things that just align my align myself with who I actually am, keep me connected to to myself, um, to the world, to the people around me, and um, make me better. Make just make me a better person. Yeah, man, that's that's amazing. Um, you mentioned uh, just before then about going traveling. Yeah, 
Where did you go? Why did you want to go? I mean, I probably know why you went uh, wanted to go, but where did you go and what happened? Uh, so I went, I did uh, bits of Africa, Asia, and then I ended up in Australia. <coughs> um, yeah, mate, I mean, I, I wanted to go for the same reason <coughs> a lot of people want to go. Like, you just feel like you need a new perspective on life. Um, you need you need that sense of adventure, you need the thrill, you need to go out and do something for yourself instead of, you know, seeing the same old, same old shit in your own hometown. You need to go and, you know, do something with your life. And that's sort of the reason I went. Um, and yeah, mate, it was the best thing I ever did, to be fair. Yeah, I think most people that go travelling would never say, oh, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I had that couple grand or however much it costs back. Yeah. You mentioned that you went to Africa. Was that when you did the training in Kenya? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that yeah. like, man? How did you get there, first of all? Because wasn't it like a quite remote place? Yeah, so, I mean, I flew into Nairobi and I knew I was, uh, I know I weren't at home anymore when I rocked up to the hostel in Nairobi <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I, I got myself set up there and then I said I, I put my running gear on and I said um, I was about to go out the, the front gate and the woman who worked there was like where are you going and I was like well, I'm going for a run it's like maybe 8pm or something it's dark but it's like it's not that late mm. and um, she goes nah 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 like, you can't <laughs> leave now and I was like what do you mean she's like nah you, it's way too unsafe you, you can't leave and I'm like what um and uh, yeah, so that was that was an eye opener. But I stayed for a, a couple nights there, and then I got a went into the town, and I was showing them on the map where I wanted to go to uh, this little village called Iten, and it involved me getting a matatu, which is like a like a minibus basically, from Nairobi to uh, a town called Eldoret, and um, it cost me maybe like, I don't know, six quid or something. To And this is literally the entire way across the country, basically. It's like halfway, like full day's travel. And um, so I got in, got into Eldoret. Uh, then I got another Matatu to this town called I-10, got off at I-10. And I'm like, everyone's looking at me like I'm an alien. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm the only white boy there. Do you know? I'm the yeah. only white Probably, yeah, I'm ginger. I've got tattoos on that on, on my legs, and yeah, big ginger uh, beard as well. Yeah, big ginger beard. I think they're just like, <laughs> who the fuck? Are you doing? <laughs> and uh, I was, I was a bit intimidated. I won't lie. Um, yeah, I can I, imagine. It's a big field, and there was loads of <coughs> loads of people just playing football. So I just sat down and watched football for a bit, and then um, saw the sun setting, and I was like. Cool, I, ain't, I ain't got a hotel tonight. Like I don't know where I'm where I'm sleeping. I'm in the middle of Africa here. Like I love you went to watch the football before trying to find somewhere yeah. to stay. Like proper like, wing in it. <laughs> I, need to, uh, I need to figure something out here. So I'm walking along like the main like street in the town, and I, I mean I was just trying to hope that I saw something that said hotel, and luckily I did. It was like a little, you know, there was just like a little building. It said hotel on it. So I walk in. The woman's like. Yeah, a uh, few quid, few quid to stay for the night. I was like, happy days. Um, <coughs> went into my room. <coughs> Sorry, mate. No worries, man. I, uh, tried to turn the shower on, and 
and it wouldn't work. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on it? Went downstairs and the, the woman gave me a bucket of hot water and was like, yeah, here you go. Like, there you go. Welcome to ITAN. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, sweet, as yeah, no drivers. Um, but that, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. I, I loved, I loved being there. Um, and hopefully I can go back one day. But it, that was, that was a big, uh, big milestone on my running journey, really. I think that was a really inspirational trip because running is such a big culture there, like in the same way that here, well, for me anyway, it was, a, it was largely football growing up. Like yeah, yeah. Football, we was always kicking a ball about. And um, out there, you wake up at 5am, go on the corner of the street and you see basically half the village out running, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. Did you feel yourself improve a lot as a runner being up there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was more the uh, the mental adjustment that I benefited from being there in terms of like how uh, how seriously they take it, um, like how much of a part of their lives it was. It made me think, you know, like I want to embody that myself. Um, so yeah, I made I made a, made really good progress when I was there. So when you're running, I'm interested, do you listen to music, podcasts, or is it more like a meditative state that you kind of just get into and just flow and yeah. sort of thing? I mean, I do I do sometimes listen to music and podcasts and, you know, sometimes I'll just, I won't listen to anything. I'll just, you know, think about whatever it is that's going on in, in my life or, or meditate. Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, so, sometimes music can really help if you uh if you're in the in a bit of a dog moment where you need like a little boost then yeah music can really do that for you so i do utilize that at some points but i think it's important not to become too reliant on it as well yeah yeah i can understand that so moving on to i mean you mentioned before about running from asia to london yeah uh <laughs> why <laughs> <laughs> um he was actually a guy that I met in Kenya. He was an Italian man who'd been cycling around the world for six years. And I I was mad inspired by it. I just thought it was crazy. Like my whole life, I'd sort of thought, you know, you grow up, you get a decent job, you get a mortgage, you find a wife, you have kids, peace out. And this guy, he was in his 30s or something, just spent the last six years cycling around the world and with a tent on his bike and like a few bits and pieces here and there. And it just really made me uh, think about what's important. Do you know what I mean? Like what is actually important? He's, he's present in the moment. He's actually experiencing life for what it is and, and, and getting the most out of it. And um, it just made me think about what can I do, you know, like that. It just inspired me and uh, I was getting really good at my running and I thought, Right, I looked up Asia to London, never been done. For summers, summers a couple months away. Fuck it, let's let's get let's get it gone. Let's do it. So that was the game plan, really, for that. So, what was the route that you took then from Asia to London? Um, mate, you'll probably be able to find the route now if you type in uh, Istanbul to London on Google. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the route I took. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, straight up. Pretty much, yeah. Um, there might have been a couple diversions in there for to avoid rivers and bits and pieces, but <coughs> that is pretty much it, mate. Yeah, I didn't really plan it at all. Um, 
I just thought we'll take each day as it comes. I run a marathon, see where I'm at, get my head down, wake up, same again. And then two and a half months later, I managed to find myself back in London. Wow. So you started, well, you said there, get your head down. How, where did you sleep? How was the sleeping situation? I had a hammock. Um, so I had a little bag, probably it was a camelback. So it's sort of like this on my back. And um, I, I went, packed ultralight. So I had a hammock. When I say bare essentials, this is why I got, I mean, I, I do a lot of camping and stuff now and I see people with these huge sort of like Bergens with all kinds of shit and they're going for like one or two nights. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I had a hammock, toothbrush, toothpaste. I had uh, a rain mac that doubled as a, uh, a tarp for the, for the uh, hammock. Uh, I had a power bank, charging cables, a camera, a GoPro even, yeah. and that was pretty much it. Like passport, but you know, I, I was I had a spare t-shirt and a spare pair of shorts, and that and that was it. Um, I soon realised that I was freezing cold at night and I needed a sleeping bag, so I got a sleeping bag when uh when I hit a big city in Bulgaria. But yeah, mate, I was packing light as they come. I would just run a marathon, see where I was, find some trees, and that would be my sleeping spot for the night. Wow, that's mad. So you literally have no idea where you're going to end up. You just wherever you no. seems like a good place. Yeah, I just I'd first first job of the day is run the marathon. Yeah, so I'd run the marathon, try and get some food, and see where <coughs> see where I am. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, I wasn't always able to find trees. So it might be a case of sleeping in, you know, shop door fronts or yeah. slept in a graveyard. I slept in. Oh, mate, how was that? The graveyard? That sounds horrible. I mean, makes no odds to me, man. It's like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm chilling. Like, I'm not trying to cause no one no bother. I'm just chilling for the night and then I'm off. So, yeah. Slept in a whole host of broken places. You know, sometimes people would uh, see me, offer me a bed in their house, or slept in people's caravans, uh, people's camper vans, like literally a whole host of places. Yeah. Did you have a few dodgy nights that you can remember? Oh, mate. Yeah. I had a fair few. I'm, I'm try- I, I mean, I can try and think of. Uh... <laughs> there, there was one. <laughs> I don't think I've told this story on a podcast before. There was one one time I was in uh, Serbia and uh, have I told this story? I'm not sure. I was in Serbia and uh, I was in the forest and there was, uh, I had my hammock up in the trees and I thought I was all good and a, and a woman comes shouting towards me. She She's not speaking that good English. Well, she's not speaking any English. I can't understand her, but she's making out like, this kind of thing so she's talking about snakes and um oh, i was like oh fuck's sake i don't really care to be honest <laughs> but, uh, um she's making a big huff and a puff about it so i went with her and um she took me into her home and she was having a bit of a party with uh she was about 60 odd i think and then she had someone else there that was about 90 i think who i assume was her mother and then she had two other people that were about 15 who I assume might have been her kids or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they were all getting pissed. 
And I was trying to explain to them that I'm running a marathon every day and I can't really afford to get pissed because the hangover will jack me in tomorrow. But they didn't, they were taking, they weren't taking no for an answer. So I had, I had like four shots of whiskey to keep the peace. Um, and then, yeah, one by one, everyone starts leaving. So the kids, the kids leave, which I thought that was, that's weird because I thought they would have all lived together or something. Yeah. And then the 90 year old woman leaves. And now I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, what's going on? <laughs> And then this uh, <laughs> this six year old woman starts like, sitting on my lap. She's doing all She's making moves at him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, like, please no. And uh, you know, I'm thinking it's like I'm looking out there and it's pitch black. It's, I mean, like, I'm I, I, you can't even call this place a village. There's like a couple of houses. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's no street light, so I can't see shit. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna have to try and ride this out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then she's like, she's taking my hand, she's she's giving me a tour of the gaff. Um, the whole time she's speaking Serbian to me, like like I can understand what the yeah, fuck. Yeah. I don't have a clue, mate. <laughs> um, <coughs> I mean, all of antiques. Then she leads me into her bedroom, and I'm like, oh, for fucking. <laughs> um. And then at that point, I'm like, no, nah, I need to dip. So I, I bowl into a garden and put my hammock up in, in the garden. And um, I just I just call that a night there. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going. No, nah, no, nah, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I, I won't go in. Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, she made me food, everything. She she was like, she was, I don't know what, she, I don't know what her game plan was, to be honest, but um, I think we can probably all figure it out. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I, it, I slept for probably about three hours of like not re, not really asleep, but like kind of kind of asleep. And then first bit of sunlight in the morning, I packed my stuff up and, and bounced out of there, and uh, got on with another marathon. Oh, mate, they're the stories that make the journey fun, man. Like that, yeah. do you know what I mean? That's what you live for. And the thing is, like, you don't get them sort of stories if you have a uh, a support team. Yeah. Because if you have a support team, everything's taken care of. You've probably They've probably pre-arranged like a good camping spot for the night, all that. And if you but if you go by yourself, like my I, like I just say yes to fucking anything when I'm on these things because I'm like, like chances are this is going to be a funny story, yeah. even if it tits up. Like it's probably just going to make me laugh anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm just all for it to be honest. I like, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Didn't you have an issue in, was it Hungary, with a, a prostitute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did have, have a little tickle with a... Uh, I, I didn't have a tickle with a prostitute. A tickle's yesterday. probably not the best way of putting it, man. I had a little run-in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't, didn't go for the tickle. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, I ran to this city. Uh, wow, it was... <laughs> probably more like a big <coughs> sorry mate I've got, I've got a bit of a cold I think yeah, but, no um, worries, man. Uh, yeah I ran to this big town in Bulgaria and um, I was buzzing because a big town means that you get somewhere to charge your phone you get a guaranteed half decent meal um, chances are you can find like a good place to sleep maybe even a shower which is lovely um, so I was I was buzzing and uh, I went out for dinner 
found on uh, Google Maps that there was a campsite, like a 10 minute walk away. So I thought happy days, we'll have a little little uh, trot down to the campsite. And as I'm, as I'm making my way there, a woman walks up beside me and uh, she starts speaking to me in Bulgarian. She's insisting on taking me to this campsite. And I'm like, look, I've got Google Maps, girl. I know the way, it's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so she kind of follows me there. Um, I get to the campsite and the people that run the campsite are telling me that they're full when I can literally see with my own eyes that the place is empty. So I'm like, but they can't speak English. So I'm trying to translate and be like, look, please let me stay there. This is what I'm doing. I'm absolutely fucked. I just need to get my head down. I want a shower for the night, that sort of thing. And they're just like, no, 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 no. You need to leave, go, please go, blah, blah, blah. And I've soon worked out it's because I've brung this woman who was a prostitute. Uh, that I kind of had an inkling at this point. Yeah. You know, I she's probably a prostitute because why on earth is any girl, any female walking up to me in my current state? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so they, like, I had a back and forth with these owners for ages because I was trying, I was like pleading with them to let me in, but they were having none of it. So they, they boot me out. And at this point it's now dark. My phone's run out of battery and, uh, I'm pretty pissed off at this woman because she's the reason I've not been let in. And, uh, yeah, not ideal. So I'm I'm walking out of the campsite and she's still following me. And then she just turns to me in, in her little Bulgarian, no, in her little Hungarian accent. And she's like, "Me good fuck." And yeah, I just showed her loads of pictures of like some of my mates that were girls, and was like, "Look at my girlfriend." She's so- <laughs> Before I love her to pieces, um, <laughs> and she's uh, she's pleading with me for a bit. She's trying to like pull me into bushes to suck me off, like, but she's like doing this to me. Like yeah. she's like, I'll suck you off, and I'm like, no, but you shut out. And yeah, uh, then eventually she starts getting pretty annoyed because she's uh, she's realised she's not going to get nothing out of me. And she's trying to uh, trying to tell me that I owe her money. And uh, I was mad skin, so I'm just like, look, <laughs> I ain't giving you no money. And I was, you know, it's not my fault that she's like, she's picked me thinking I've got money, like, but it, you only need to look at me for 0.5 seconds to work out that at that moment, I do not have any money. Um, so yeah, she uh, gets on the blower, she brings up someone and they're speaking and it, it's a very animated conversation and that, and then, then I started to worry a bit and I'm like, Oh my God, this is not going well. Cause that's certainly a pimp. And, uh, if I don't make some swift moves here, then, uh, I'm, I'm in a whole world of trouble. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought, fuck me, right. We best make a dash for it. So I, uh, so I legged it and she sort of chased me a bit, but luckily, you know, the boys got a bit of pace still. So <laughs> even after the marathon. Yeah. So I managed to make it to these motorways. Um I was kind of half shitting myself still because I was like, I don't know if these are gonna find me or what. Um, but I jumped over this fence and uh is that there's a bank and there's a couple of trees there beside this motorway and I thought, well, this is as good a bet as I can make right now. I didn't have no phone battery. I stunk like shit. 
didn't have no food. I was starving, had no water. Um, and I slept there for maybe a couple hours or so. Then woke up in the morning, but I didn't have any a clue where I was or what direction I really needed to head in. So I looked at the sun and worked out that where I need to be going and uh, sort of took cover in this public bathroom that I found. And there was, it was a fucking shit. I was like piss everywhere, dirty, like smashed mirrors and that. And I was like washing out of this sink in uh, in this public bathroom. And I was just like, oh, this is like, like I was looking at myself in the mirror just thinking like today's the day, Russ, like this is what you came for, lad. Like, this is where it's, you know, you find out what you're made of. Um, I knew there was going to be moments like this. And, uh, yeah, got got on with the marathon. It was probably one of the hardest running days of my life that day. It was horrible. But managed to find a petrol station at the end of the day and got a shower, got my phone charged, got a beer. And, um, yeah, that was halfway. So I was like... You know, milestones, man. Yeah, milestones for sure. So yeah, we spoke there about some of the <laughs> interesting characters that you met. Yeah, but I imagine that a lot of it, you know, you obviously you're on your own. Like, how did you deal with the loneliness? I guess of the trip, mate. It was a, one of the probably the hardest things. Um, I was so lonely. <laughs> I was I was really lonely throughout the trip because. I was, there was not many people I bumped into that spoke English. Um, and I, I was so far away from home. It felt like I had a, I had like so much, it almost felt like home was so far, far away. Like in, it was just like, almost felt like I was never going to get there. Um, and there would be like a lot of, you know, nights where I'd be in my hammock like laying awake, wouldn't be able to sleep. And I was just, you know, there was no real way of dealing with it. It was just grit your teeth and get through it, to be honest. And I think that's probably why by the time I got back, my head was so fried because it had taken, you know, I was emotionally exhausted. I was mentally exhausted. I was physically exhausted, almost to the brink of what was possible. So it was a, it was a real struggle. Um, and something that took me a long time to really process. I don't really think I processed that entire thing until I was um, until I was buried alive, actually. Yeah, which we'll get on to later for sure. So when you're going through those tough times, do you have milestones in your head of like, when I get here? Like You said halfway before about when you were at that gas station. Do you have things in your head like, right, once I'm here, I'm dead, you know? Yeah, um, halfway was a big one. Um, and then the German border was massive because the German border meant that the countries left were Germany, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, France and England, which were all, you know, pretty westernised countries, countries yeah. I was pretty familiar with. Probably more English spoken there as well. Yeah, felt more comfortable in. So uh, that was, I remember that day getting to the German border, I was running through Czech Republic, it was raining and I could see the German border coming up and um, Kasabian underdog came in on my ear, on my earphone and uh, the lyrics just really hit hard for me at that time because I was the underdog. Like no one thought I would be able to do this. Like when I said, 
I said to my friends and family, I put a post on Instagram saying, you know, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be become the first person ever to run from age done and I'm going to run all this way and black. And uh, everyone thought I had a death wish. They were like, Russ is chatting shit again. Like, he's not going to, there's no way he's going to be able to do this. Like, his head's in the clouds. Uh, like, get real. This ain't something you can do. And there was, you know, there was a whole sea of, negativity coming my way from that in terms of like just no one backed it like and to be honest like no one had a reason to back it so I, I get it I don't like hold people for it but I the reason that you know I, I, I managed to turn that negativity into fuel which yeah. is uh is a powerful thing to be able to do but people need to realise that a lot of the time, that's not how it goes. A lot of the time, you swarm someone with negativity and they'll drown in it. And um, it's a it's a really empowering thing to be supportive and, and positive towards the, you, the people closest to you. So, yeah, mate, I mean, underdog comes in on my ear and I was beating my chest, running in Germany to this border <laughs> and it just kind of felt like... A, it just kind of, it felt like one of them to the world for yeah. me at the time. He's I was putting just putting like, his middle fingers up for everyone. Like middle, um, yeah, yeah. Like there's, it was just like that one's for everyone that's ever doubted me for anything. Yeah. Like fuck you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a, that energy is powerful if you harness it in the right way. So that's. That's you know that's what it, felt. it was. Year, it wasn't even just like a moment, and it felt like my whole life. Like yeah, people never really believed in me. Now I was at the German border. I was way over halfway. Everyone knew I was going to do it. Now big tunes well. <laughs> so when you put that Instagram post out, how confident were you in yourself? You said that other people doubted you, but did you doubt yourself at all at that point? Nah. So I mean, never, you yeah. call it blind optimism or ignorance but I really did not see a way in which I wouldn't be able to do it I even like I thought the only way is if I get killed or severely injured and I, I was coming up with all kinds of backup plans like if my leg snapped I'd get crutches I'd crawl I'd oh, be whatever wow. like there was in my head I knew that if I wasn't going to if I wasn't going to do this, then at some point I would have to get a plane home. And I was like, there is absolutely no fucking way I'm getting a plane. Home. <laughs> I'll die out. I will die in a Bulgarian forest. I ain't getting a fucking. <laughs> so you mentioned there that German border being like a big master and middle fingers up to everyone. Yeah. But how did you feel when you got back? Because a lot of people that I've spoken to, and I think it's common with people that are adventurers, the, the thrills in the journey, you, you wouldn't get through these things if it was just about the end results. So how, was there a sort of mixture of emotions? <coughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah. I I definitely, well, I wasn't overly present uh, when I got back. It had been it taken taken out of me so much to get there that I I wasn't even like there like my head was a bit 
you know, a bit messed up from everything I'd been been through to get home. And it also just felt like a massive, you, I've, I've worked so hard to get to this point and now it's just done. And, you know, it was just a feel, it almost like a feeling of just like, cool. Yeah. What's next? It's, yeah. It's it, like, cool, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I know that's not really what people want to hear. People want to hear, like, uh, it was the best moment. It was like the but my best moment of my life. It was, you know, it was this, you know, moment where glory was, you know, grasped and it was heroic and all the rest of it. But, you know, I just, I weren't really, I weren't really present to be honest. I was, I was away. Yeah, I think it's common with people, man, when they achieve such a big goal, it's just doesn't feel empty, but, you know, slightly at the same point. So you mentioned then you were thinking yeah. what's next. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. go on. I, well, I was just going to say, it's like, so, you know, from that, what I've sort of learned is that I have to, in, you know, I have to enjoy the process. Um, mm. And if you can fall in love with the process and the, the goals are still great to have, um, they can still help push you forward but it's the it's the process that's the really you know the beautiful thing out of it all yeah and like i said before i think if you don't love the process you won't achieve the goal i think that's obvious um so you mentioned what was next and what you did do next i don't know if it was directly next but you did bury the life for a week was it yeah um i mean opposite of you know running from asia to london why bury the life for a week um well, for, for precisely that, really, I think um, I've always uh, I've always been on the go a lot, and uh, it's 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 the complete opposite. It's almost like a pure test of um, mental strength, and I took a lot from the buried alive experience. I think it redefined how I think what I think mental resilience and mental strength is. I thought, I think a lot of the time before, for example, with the age of London thing, I would, I, my perception of mental strength would be how, how much can you grit your teeth and just get through a situation, which was basically two and a half months of age of London was grit your teeth and get through it. Yeah. With the barrier alive, it was very different because uh, I almost, you know, the training for Buried Alive was a lot of meditating and fasting and, and that's humbling. They're, that, they're really humbling things to do because they make you realise how pathetic you are and that there's, you can grit your teeth and get through some things, but, you know, that's not going to get you that far. And if I, through that process, I've sort of learned how to, you know, process my emotions, uh, talk about them and... Um, you know like be proud of whatever it is you know and use that as like a power for me so I can be more vulnerable now um, I don't feel like I have to I don't feel like I've got anything to prove to anyone if I if I if, I, um, if I'm struggling then I'll talk about it um, and I think that uh that is way more powerful and way more strong than any idea I had of before about what mental strength is. 
Yeah. Did you find just a week? Like I, I try and meditate now and again and sitting there for 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes can be difficult. Like, did it get easier? Like, what are you, are you thinking about things? Are you, do you literally just go into a blank state at points? Like how actually was the, the time? Uh, I, I spent a lot of time reflecting um, and I spent a lot of time processing and thinking about what's important to me. What do I want to do with my life? Um, yeah, and you'd be surprised how long you can think about those things for because they're so deep, such deep questions to ask um, that it's that that we never really have the time to think about. It's we've got distractions everywhere. Your, you know, our attention span is getting weaker and weaker as the years go on. We're addicted to. Uh, social media feeds that have algorithms purposely set up to make us addicted to them. You know, it's we're we're dialed into the game that is yeah. modern technology, and um, taking a step back from all that, and you know, sitting in a box for a week where I'm starving, hungry, and I have no stimulation, it it <coughs> it's a uh, it's you know it's a massive detox it's um it's a cold turkey version of life and it? it's just yeah what a great way of putting it yeah so have you feel, felt like you've changed since that experience Ma yeah massively massively changed um I, I i mean i spent a lot of time thinking about what's important to me and you know like when, when i really try and boil it down to, to something i think i want to uh, I want to push my limits, be the best version of myself that I can and continually progress. And I want to help other people do the same. Because um, yeah. that's, you know, when I think about what's meaningful and what's fulfilling, then that is it. And you have to, like, I mean, I ask the questions, like, what do I actually want from life? And I think you want, like, I want to have a meaningful and fulfilling life. That doesn't necessarily mean I want a happy life um, because, you know, I don't want to be up here all the time. I want to, I want to feel connected. I want to, yeah. you know, I want to experience, I want to experience, I don't want to, um, you know, I don't think you, there's, there's a, 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 a like happiness side. It's just a different thing. I don't think that's, you know, what I want. Yeah, you just want to feel the full force of life, whatever I, comes I with that. I want to suffer. I want like I want to suffer, but I want to do it on I want to do it my terms. Like yeah. I don't want to suffer because I'm so incompetent in my head that I can't process anything that's going on. Um I want to suffer to be better. Yeah, and you don't strike me at all like someone that's just wants to get the next paycheck so they've got four rings on their steering wheel and a bigger TV like <laughs> I could I can't think of anything I could care about less than me too, what me I'm too. having or any bollocks like that to be honest <laughs> me too man so you mentioned you've got the new marathon thing coming up different footwear what else have you got coming up what's what's the plan for, um, so the for big, Mr Ruskirk <coughs> the next big thing that um started planning is the uh we want to run the full length of Africa, which has never been done. So the southern tip, wow. northern tip, 
which will be about 250 marathons in 180 days. So it'll be six months on the go, no rest days every single day at least. Um, so that's that's what's getting planned at the moment. But we'll wait and see. When are you thinking of doing that, do you have an idea in mind in terms of time? Well, it will. I'm going to sneeze, I think. <laughs> Go for it. No, um, I've lost it. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully back end of this year, maybe next year. Um, it takes a lot of planning, these things like this, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, what, I can imagine. What time. Yeah, so I have one, pod- uh, one podcast, one question I want to end the podcast on. But before that, where can people find you, man? Where can they find your stuff? Uh, so we're just at Hardest Geezer on Insta, Twitter. I mean, I don't use TikTok. Sometimes we put TikTok videos out, but I don't use it. Uh, YouTube is just Hardest Geezer as well. Um, we've got lots of YouTube content coming this year, which should be good as well. Nice, man. Looking forward to it. So to end the podcast, got one question, and that is what is one rule, guideline, or philosophy that you try and live your life by? Cool. Um, uh, I would say try and be better today than I was yesterday. There we go, man. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ross, man. I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Chatting with Charlie this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, share with your friends, follow wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is. And if you want, give me a five-star review. It'd mean the absolute world if you did. But yeah, until next time, guys, have a good one.